in the name of Jesus. Our Father, we come to you this morning again, not trusting in our own righteousness at all, but we are trusting in you and in your mercy. We are asking, Lord Jesus, that you will grant help to us this morning in the few minutes that we have, that you will speak to us, O God. But Father, we pray that this seed, which has no problem at all, the seed is the same. The word of God is the same yesterday, today and forever. It is it that changed the hearts of the apostles of old. It is it that has changed the hearts of men throughout generations, even till our time. Lord, but the hearts that receive it are different. Let our hearts not be the stony, stony hearts, the wayside hearts, the heart of thorns. But Lord Jesus, let it be a good heart, even this morning, in the name of Jesus. Open your word to us, we ask, that we may behold the wondrous things that you have kept in them for us, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise the Lord. We're supposed to be discussing the value of follow-up to a disciple. And throughout the year we've been talking about discipleship, making disciples of all nations. And I'm going to stand on already existing protocols. That is already established points. A few of them I will just mention. That remember that when we say discipleship, we're talking about a master-apprentice relationship with the Lord Jesus himself. That is that God is the master, you know, like the boy and abana na na afia afionisha, or even afia obeto, or anywhere and many other places. That a man enrolls under that kind of tutelage with Jesus. That actually is what discipleship is about. So it has an aim, and it's to make men like Jesus. Okay, and sometimes God may, as you submit to Him. He may also put you under guidance and tutors. We mentioned that a bit last week. And I also want to remind us again that discipleship is not actually optional for anybody who did not die at a time when he was saved. If you are not like the thief on the cross and after you gave your life to Jesus, you didn't die, then discipleship is actually not optional if you want to enter into heaven. Hallelujah. We'll just look at Luke chapter 9 verse 23 which we have already read severally. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 and he said to them all if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We had established previously that that scripture was talking to his disciples. Jesus was sharing some secrets with his disciples, and he turned to people who had left all that they were doing to follow him and said to you, if. In many other scriptures, like if you get to Luke chapter 14, no time, we're not going to read it, you will see that Jesus was making the same advertisement of discipleship to the crowd. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, that large crowds were following him, and he turned to them and said to them, but I want to establish first of all, from this Luke 9, 23, that even for those who have left all, to follow Jesus. Those were the men in this particular passage that Jesus was advertising discipleship to. If you read John 8, 31 for us again, we will notice a similar point. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, 
if you continue in my word, then are you truly my disciples? He was not talking to those who had not believed. He was speaking to those who had believed. Those who were, had left the crowd and had accepted Jesus and had said, this is the Messiah and I want to follow him. And he turned and said to them, there is what I call being my disciple and that is following in my word, not deviating to the left and to the right. So the point I just want to make from there is that once a man becomes a believer, he needs to enroll in discipleship. Hallelujah. We were reminded again that discipleship is actually not optional. And the word Christianity only came up in Antioch. Before then, the Bible says that it was disciples. Everywhere disciples, even in that Antioch, you will hear them say that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, discipleship is really not a new terminology. It's not a new name. It actually should be the replacement or an alternative for the name Christian. Hallelujah. Discipleship is the means to eternal life. It's the only guarantee that you will receive eternal life from God. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Somebody should find Luke 9.23. We've read Luke 9.23, so we'll just look Mark 10, 17 and 21. Galatians 4, 1 and 2. Okay, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, as long as he's a child, he differed nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Paul was trying to use this passage or this analogy in this particular passage to, to talk about the law and the new creation. But that's not what we're discussing today. We're just looking at the analogy again. That as long as the heir saved a potential inheritor of the kingdom remains a child, he has no inheritance. And in the outworkings of life, there is really no difference between him and a slave. Between him and he who has not been saved. Okay? That which appears to befall men who are unsaved appears to also befall him. He functions in unknowing. He has no functional connection with the master by which he receives a source regularly that pushes him on. He chooses as men choose. He goes as men goes. When men do tumbon tumbo, he also joins to do tumbon tumbo. He just lives ordinarily. There's no difference between him. His inheritance is waiting. Eternal life is waiting. But he remains a child. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that he puts him under tutors and guardians until the time appointed of his father. Mark chapter 10 verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, before she goes to verse 21, I want you to have that Luke 9.23 we read in your mind. And listen as we read verse 21. 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. 
then you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Then come and follow me. Hallelujah. I, I, I try to do a small comparison between those two scriptures and I think they are very similar. The man was asking in this scripture, what must I gain? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer was extremely similar to the advertisements that he was making to his disciples for discipleship. Go. He only interpreted, in my opinion, Luke chapter 9 verse 23 to this man's particular situation. The rich young ruler we call him, is it not? That was the defining characteristics of himself. That was him. That was himself. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself. Carry himself every day. Then follow me. And Jesus was saying to this man, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. Come. And follow me. Hallelujah. So, I am quickly noting that the response to what must I have, what must I do to receive eternal life and what I will do to be a disciple are the same. Hallelujah. So discipleship is the means of eternal life. I think we'll just, those few points we have made as we have it in our mind, we will now ask ourselves, so what's the place of follow-up to a disciple? We'll start by reading John chapter 15 verse 16. Verse 16a, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruits and that your fruit shall remain. There's much to discuss in that scripture, but let us ignore it and quickly run down to the last part of what we read. There is an ordination that Jesus has ordained his disciples with. You are ordained, you are appointed unto something, as some other scriptures will say. And it is to bearing fruit. The fruit of the spirit, the fruit of life, the fruit of character, and the fruit of men. And Jesus said, not wavering fruits. Not fruits that are here today. And fruits that are not there tomorrow. Not fruits that are dependent on the weather. Oh, when everybody is is behaving well around me, I have the fruit of patience. And the fruit of love. But I have a house help who knows how to do something, do something, do something. That's not a fruit that is lasting. That's not a fruit that abides. Hallelujah. Men that God is going to be raising for us. Or through us. God is not intending that when you raise a fruit. That tomorrow we should be looking for that person. Fruits that abide. Fruits that last. Fruits that don't decay. Fruits that have been preserved. And if you notice in that scripture, it actually didn't say fruits. It said fruits. Hallelujah. Okay. There are three phases of follow-up that we're going to be discussing very quickly. The first phase is the phase immediately after salvation. Um, We'll just read Acts chapter 2. Verse 41 and 42. Please help me read. And verse 46. The aim of this phase is to introduce a new believer to the principles of his new faith. To introduce a new convert to what the basics of Christianity actually are. What the expectations are. 
And I want to say that actually, even though unfortunately, many times we seem to get old or many years down the line in Christianity before the implications of the death of Jesus begin to be explained to us. When we are following up people, please, this is the time to actually do so. To tell a man that you can't carry yourself and follow Jesus. You must deny yourself. Carry your cross, the symbol of that death, and follow him. Many a times, the reason why people don't stand and the fruits don't abide is because they are trying to do the impossible. They are trying to follow Jesus with the baggage of themselves. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an impossible journey. It's a, the, the definite characteristic of that life is a sinusoidal curve. After a good message, or a good retreat, but when he comes down to what he calls reality, he returns back to where he was, so back to his struggles, and up and down. And such is the characteristics of many of our lives. Hallelujah. So, who is reading for me, please? Acts chapter 2, 41 and 42. Yes. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. 46. 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of hearts. Hallelujah. These were the initial converts immediately after Pentecost. Remember the story, the background of the story? And the apostles didn't say, oh, what a great job. After all, it was the Holy Spirit who did it, is it not? And the timid Peter had stood up and had preached and 3,000, 3,000 men without microphone that I am holding in my hand, without advertisements, were added, were saved on that one day. If I were them, perhaps, I would say, well, I didn't plan for it. It wasn't me that arranged it. However God arranged it, him too, he will know how he is going to also follow the people. They should also be going. They will somehow, they will find their way. But no. The disciples had been trained themselves by Jesus. And what was important had been told to them. They had realized that follow-up is compulsory. And so quickly, you will note, they began to teach these people. Daily, the Bible says, they were breaking bread. They were teaching. They were praying. They were, they were not giving space. Sometimes we lead a soul to Christ. And after two weeks, we ask, hey, so how are you doing? The person says, I'm fine. He says, how is your faith? He's trying to remember which faith. Who has ever given birth to a baby? And there's rejoicing in heaven. Oh, I gave birth to a baby. I gave birth to a baby. Then they dropped the baby. Then the father and the mother went home. And then two weeks later, they say, hey, Shebi, it's true. We even gave birth to one baby. Where, do, where is that baby again? Let's look for the baby. It sounds very unreasonable, doesn't it? But I dare say we do so, so often, to the souls of men. At a time when a soul is yielding to the Lord, that is the time when the person should be put through on the basic tenets of Christianity rather quickly. At this point in time, there is no waiting. A woman who has given birth, you know, I was telling a patient a few days ago, she said, ah, let us do this surgery for her, let her rest. So I said, hey, madam, actually when we do this surgery for you, then the work begins. Oh. She said, hey, at least she will rest for one or two days now. I said, will your baby be starving for one or two days? I said, won't you give the baby food to eat, is it not? 
You quickly already start the process. Nobody rests after he has had a baby. Hallelujah. When you have a spiritual baby, please don't rest. It is unnatural so to do. Don't rest. Don't say later. This point in time, there is no later. The child needs immediate attention. And you will realize that as a person grows, the less attention you give to that child. Is it not true? At a point in time, he's dependent on you. In fact, in the first three or four days, the baby can be on breast for one hour. Eh? Breast milk is not too much. The baby is learning how to suck. And the mother seems to just be feeding the baby incessantly. And feeding the baby and feeding the baby. After a while, the baby develops a pattern. Maybe it's two hourly, three hourly, four hourly. Until he stops waking up in the night. Is that not true? It's the same procedure. When you have brought a soul to the Christ, please, just know that all rest and convenience should, be, should wait until this soul, at least, has become the type of man who is in a house help. Hallelujah. Until the person has an understanding, then you can say, okay, let you rest a little while you are still feeding the child. And you feed a child, feed a child, feed a child. At a point in time, the child starts to feed himself. Is it not? You are teaching the child. It is similar. So, the first phase of follow-up is the phase of no rest. The phase of no procrastination. The phase of a job that must be done and done now. Hallelujah. When we move from that phase, the child is settling down. People are more at home. The spirit of that man or that woman is growing. Is growing and is beginning to do Bible study for himself. He's coming to ask you questions. I was reading this as I was studying the scripture. Making a good at that point in time. You can be breathing down a little at that point. And then you enter the next phase, the second phase we're going to discuss. This second phase actually forms the bulk phase of follow up. It's the phase of audiovisual. A phase of learning to put the theory he reads, theory in quotes, or hears, into practice. The theory of being able to stand up for Christ, how is it done inside the world full of unbelievers? How is it done in my classroom as a student? How is it done in my workplace? How is it done in my home? Putting a face to it. And whoever the follow-upper, that is a very bad English word, is it not? But whoever the person who is doing the follow-up is, is at this phase needs to draw the men to themselves. You settle down. Hallelujah. The first phase, the, the greatest onus really, lies on the person who has led the person to Christ. Even though you may not always have the opportunity so to do. But this second phase may not necessarily lie on you because, you know, people are moving, people are moving around. But many times, your responsibility to also try to shift the person to somebody else, wherever he is located, who can do that for him should be yours. Don't be an irresponsible mother. Hallelujah. Let's look at um, a few examples. Acts chapter 11. We read one of them, Acts chapter 15, so we are not going to read that again. I hope we have not forgotten our epistle reading. Acts chapter 11, from verse 19, 
In fact, if you want to just look at this second phase, you will read the whole of the life of Paul. In the book of Acts, you will see how he did it. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Hallelujah. Let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay? So, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, you will see the outworking of this as Paul was now writing a letter. But we'll talk about that later on. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. You will notice that like a very good hunter, Paul was anywhere they took him to. If you read the beginning of all those scriptures we read, you will see that once he arrives in a place, he locates the synagogue. And he begins to preach. He begins to see how he can make space to preach. And once he starts doing that and makes converts, he settles down. He doesn't pack his load and run away. He doesn't do an emergency work. You see some of them, the Bible says, in, for one year, Paul and Barnabas sat down in Antioch and were teaching the disciples. Teaching the disciples. So much did they achieve the aim of God of discipleship that in that place, was the first time that people were called Christians, which means like Christ. Hallelujah. And Paul, having learned that also from Barnabas, when he began his own ministry, that characterized his entire ministry. He settled down with men. Men saw him. You will see him say very variously in letters that he will write to the church. He will say, when I was among you, do you remember such kind of scriptures? I did not do like this. I didn't do like that. I, did, I laid an example for you to follow. Men, must see Jesus in another man. Hallelujah. Follow me as I follow Christ must be the cry of the man who is following somebody up in this second phase. Here we're not just laying foundations of of faith, foundations of the presence of the Holy Ghost. We have finished that in the first phase. We are now moving to growth for this disciple. And the fastest means of growth is what a man can see. Following somebody. As we are discussing um, how follow-up should be, I want you to also be checking, first of all, for yourself. 
Whether you too, you have settled down to also go through the process yourself. Because it is very easy for a man to read the Bible. And like several men have done today, conclude, for instance, I'll give you an example of one of the conclusions that many of us have made, is that it is impossible to live above sin. Why do people come to such conclusions? Because on their own, when you read the Bible, particularly when you come to Christ new as a zeal, as you are with plenty of zeal, when you read it, it is crystal clear in your mind that God does not want you to live in sin. Is that not true? When you read, you have no mistake about it. You are certain when you read scriptures that you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. How did the man they saved from their sin still live in sin? The new Christian is asking. And his faith is challenged. And you hear him say, I write this to you, little children, that you do what? You sin not. That was 1 John chapter 1. Then you come to 1 John chapter 3. He says, he who is born of God does not sin because he has the seed of God in him. And the new believer believes it. But as he moves along in his life, he begins to see that, you know, the things are not, they are not quite working. Despite his praying, despite his fasting, despite his, he's trying, he's working. But it's not quite working. The things, the things that Paul will call besetting sins, for instance, have beset him and have refused him to move forward every day. There's no day he kneels down to pray that he doesn't have sin to confess. His communion with God is broken often and on as he goes on in the day because of the same issues of sin. And you know, at that point in time, the believer begins to reinterpret scripture. He begins to tell himself, well, maybe... He, because the energy he has put into it, he can't perceive how, how, how... What else will he do? What else will I do? And so he begins to reinterpret scripture. Well, perhaps... What God was really trying to say is that I should not be comfortable in sin or that, but that to live above sin, I have tried enough that if it was possible. At that point in time, actually, it is the omission of a life example of a man who has had victory that has created that confusion. Hallelujah. And many of us, you see, as we are sitting down like this, some of us are very stubborn. I'm saying this because of myself. And even when God is making an advertisement to you, an advertisement to you of, see, I can make something better out of your life. You say, Lord, make it by yourself. Hallelujah. I used to say so too. I say, Lord, the Holy Spirit is present in my heart. Do it by yourself. You can do it by yourself. Do it for me by yourself. I don't want anybody to assist. Do it by yourself. And already, of course, you know that that already is a position of pride. It's already a position of, eh? You know, the Bible says that if you don't love human beings who you see, and you say that you love God. Lie, lie. Hmm? Oh Lord, we love you. But you don't love your neighbor. God does not appreciate that kind of I love you. So also, if you cannot submit to human being that you see, I dare to say that you are actually a rebellious child of God. You, are not, you cannot submit to any, any unseen hand. We like to submit to people we, that have, you know, and you just say God is somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. But you cannot put yourself down to say, let me walk. Hallelujah. An audiovisual aid is usually very important for a smooth walk with God. And so when you are following somebody up, don't concentrate only on teaching him Bible. Allow him to see the Bible in your life also. Bring him home. 
if you notice, I think it was Andrew and Peter. They say, Master, where do you say that? They say, Come and what? See. Sorum na. Sorum rutenono. It used to be said that if you like a preacher from afar, hmm, stay afar to continue liking him. Because if you come nearer, you will not like what you see. That is an omission of follow up. It's an omission of discipleship. The man has a lot of gifts and charisma. But don't come near his house, so he's a tiger at home. Don't come near her. She backs from morning till night. Impatient woman. Before the child has done, bah, her hand moves faster than her mind can think. And you just say, hey, Sunday. Hallelujah. So, it's not inside church that you can know who I am. This, is, this one is a, it's an arrangement. Have you seen people fighting inside church before? No matter how they fought in their house. Even if somebody sitting down beside his boyfriend is there, they won't commit fornication inside church. It's not done. Hallelujah. There is an arrangement. We arrange ourselves to come here. That's not how, this is not how you are. Even me too, this is not how I am. Follow me to my house. Then you will know who I really... So why do you want to expose a person to an official aid? It's not done in church. Carry him home. Follow her home. Follow him home. Hallelujah. And let me just note briefly that for the sake of sanctity, small wisdom, please let women follow up women. And let men follow up men. Hallelujah. The great Jesus, the son of God himself, when he was choosing 12, he didn't add women. It's not because he didn't plan to disciple women. I hope you know he had many disciples who were female. Hmm? Uh They were... You know, not inside the inner carcass of men. Because this phase of discipleship entails an opening of life, an accountability of another man to another man. It's not the kind of thing that a man should do for a woman. Or the kind of thing that a woman should do for a man, even though that is a bit safer. But please, let us restrict it to people. Just an advice. Hallelujah. Then, when you omit this part of it, our struggles increase. And you know that when something is fresh, if you bring fish hmm, that you want to bend, you know how they do dry fish, right? and they turn some of them around. When do you turn that fish? When it is fresh, is it not? Bring that one and say, you don't like how the, how the man made it. I want to redo it. What will happen? You will break the fish. Hallelujah. That's why many of our lives need to be broken afresh, even though we have been saved for a long time. Because the mold that we have taken at the time when we should have taken a correct mold was not right. So if God will still do something with us in mercy, it will not just be bending this time, which the pain is less, you know. You know, you just turn it around. And, but Hallelujah. And sometimes you never succeed with making out what you planned to make because the fish just refuse. It cannot, it's not pliable anymore. Hallelujah. Don't put men into that kind of situation. Imagine a fisherman who will come back from fishing. And when he comes back from fishing, he will say, after fishing and catching fish like this, he say, let him rest. One nechi, what is chayike? By the one nechi when he is coming, what has happened to the fish? Of course. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27, talks about the lazy man, the slothful man, who has gone out to hunt this is laziness, it's with style. It allowed him to go out to hunt. He went and hunted and brought game back home. But he's too lazy to roast the game. So he drops, he drops the game and goes to rest. An animal you have killed and brought home 
that you need to prepare immediately. You settle down and say, Kiyuzu Godike. By the time you are ready, unfortunately, the game will not be waiting for you. Your efforts will have been absolutely wasted. Hallelujah. The third phase of follow-up is what I will call checking on. You have followed a life through. The life is standing. If you look at the discipleship relationship of Jesus, which is a very good case study that, those, that we should look at also, you will see that at a point in time, during the discipleship, Jesus will send them out to go and preach, is it not? And then they will come back and do what? Give reports. And as they gave reports, they say, ah, this one happened, this one happened, this one happened. Jesus will say, okay, that's true. But he redirected their mind to what to pay attention to. He said, rejoice. Not that demons are falling out of it, but that your name is written in the book of life. That was part of the training. It was not that they had grown enough to go and raise other men, no. But they needed to learn how to. You are raising a life. You are going to preach. Where are the people that you are raising with? They need to follow you. You are going to do evangelism. Where are they? You are not supposed to sit down on top of a life for the rest of the life's life. That life is supposed to also raise another man. Hallelujah. Paul said to Timothy, the things that you have heard of me, that I want you to commit to faithful men who will also be able to commit to other faithful men. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, I think. Okay? That is, can you see four generations of people? I have committed it to you. I want you to look around and get faithful men. And I perceive that by that faithful men, it's not just people who have believed, but men who have put their neck into discipleship. Who have committed their neck into following God. He said, these kind of people. Commit them. Point to them. Men who have capacity also to commit it to another generation. And if we continue like that, you will see that there will be no broken, broken link. Hallelujah. But we have moved from individually making men to an attempt to make men in a crowd. It's an attempt that does not really work. Hallelujah. Follow up. It's actually individual. Of course, if you have plenty of people that you are following up, you can gather them together to give them principles from the scripture. To teach them, instead of teaching this person the same thing, teach this person, teach this person, teach this person. You can gather them together. Like what we call follow up class, is it not? We can teach them. Or, in the Bible studies that we do, gather people up to teach them. But the implications of that has to do with when the person has gone home. He now needs to put that thing that he learned on Sunday into practice. There was one Puritan preacher, I can't remember what his name was now, but he now said that he realized that after preaching, his words were like fire on Sunday. When he followed the people home on Monday morning, and said, so yesterday's sermon, some people are quickly saying, hey, yes sir. Then he said, how, what is the hope of such a person? Who on Monday morning has forgotten about the sermon that you are hoping that he's going to obey the sermon? Is, is, is it possible? So he realized that after preaching on Sunday, his job from Monday to Saturday was to go from house to house in the places that he had, in the people's houses, to be asking them, so what is the practicality of your own obedience to what God brought to us on Sunday? And he said that his experience was very interesting. Hallelujah. 
That is just to show us the value of individual contact. Hallelujah. If you have not been discipled yourself, please seek it. And if you are discipling others, please don't let it, don't be like the man who brought game home and is too lazy to prepare the game. Hallelujah. You will see, our time is going. Okay, let's just leave the scriptures. The third phase I said is checking on. You will see it in Paul's letters. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, all of them are follow-up letters. Are they not? They are follow-up letters to people that Paul had preached to. They had believed. He had taught them about God. He had settled down with them for most of those churches. And had preached to them. Hallelujah. One of the most interesting follow-up letters that I want us to read is in Luke chapter 1. It helps me to appreciate my laziness whenever I read it. And to see that on the last day, those are the men that we will stand beside as God is making us to give an account of ourselves. I'm reading verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have, have been fulfilled amongst us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So number one, Theophilus has believed, is it not? Number two, somebody has settled down to teach Theophilus. Are you seeing that from that scripture? But it's not enough for him. He needs to push him into establishment of his faith and a running with it. And he says he sat down. So the entire Luke gospel is a story of a follow-up letter to one man. Dr. Luke was writing a follow-up letter to almost excellent Theophilus. I don't know what degree of excellency he was, but obviously he was a highly placed person. Acts chapter 1. of the Bible. At least look, there is Matthew, there is Mark, and there is John. The Acts of the Apostles have no other record like it in the entire scripture. But I want you to also note again verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. What is that former book now? After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them and blah, 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 blah. The book of Acts begins already. What is this, letter, this book also? Eh? A follow-up letter to the same man that Luke had written in in Luke, in the, in the Gospel of Luke. You know, when I think about the fact that in the days of these writings, there was no pen and paper, let alone computer. I see the, the hard work and the importance that was attached to it by these men of old that made them to sit down. Luke sat down. This is the one that was recorded for us. So, so perhaps other people were doing their own, is it not? And Luke sat down. And the whole book of the stories of how he was up and down with Paul and how he was writing for Paul and how he was moving around, how they were crashed, how Paul will send them here and say, wait for me, then they will go here. Luke was always inside that group. 
You see, many times you will see in some of his letters, you will say, and Dr. Luke, is it not? And the physician, Luke, sends his greetings also. And Luke sat down and wrote it. Not to a church, but to who? Theophilus. Oh, excellent Theophilus. Hallelujah. These are men who have run out. The man has gone and said, so, okay, you can begin to do that which I think God will have you do. A spiritual mother over a child. The child may even be older than you. Hallelujah. But you are taking the responsibility of parenthood over that life. And your knees are not looked for in heaven when it comes to prayer for that person. We'll not talk too much about that, but every stage of this, I think the day Dr. Honor talked about it, he talked very well about it. If you were not here, you can buy that tape and listen to it again. Reverend Dr. Honor talked about prayer and the disciple. And it is inevitable. At every stage, all your work is useless. If the grace of God does not come to that place, and one of the ways of bringing that grace is by prayer. You pray the person into willingness. Pray the person out of stubbornness. Pray him out of laxity and unzealousness. Don't say, it's not serious. It's not serious. It's not serious. Let's shift on the road. Let me look for another person. That's how you continue looking for another person. And when you get before God, you'll be empty-handed. Because what he's looking for is fruits that do what? That last fruits that abide. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So why are we not following people up? I think the first one is ignorance. You do, you do err because you know not the scriptures. That's what Jesus said once. I think that's the first reason. But second to that is our laziness also. We, we like our convenience too much. We, you know, eh, following up somebody is hard work, my dear. It's hard work. Hard work. You will follow the person up and down, down and up to see that the person is established in the faith. But what else were you born to do? What else were you born to do? That is your ordination in life if you have been saved. That is my ordination in life. So if I am too lazy to do the thing for which I was born on earth, what is it? There was a man that they said, they said, watch this man, hold him. And when they came, the man had run away. They said, where is the man they gave you to watch? He said, while I was up and about, here and there. You have created a job for yourself that you think are important. But God has given you something to do. He calls it your ordination. Prepare yourself for that job and to do it well. You are up and down, doing every other thing but the thing that they said. And when God said, where is the man I gave you to hold? He said, the, the man, the man, and we are telling God stories. Blessed is that man who when his master come, whether it is in the second watch, or in the last watch of the night, will find him what? Faithful. Hallelujah. And a third reason why I think we do not, we do not follow people up, or disciple men, is that we ourselves have not been discipled. You cannot be, be giving to another man what you do not have. You are fighting with the world, and struggling with the world, and the world is dwelling right inside where you are. And saved, yes, you are. But, you know, you are just neither here nor there, really. You speak Christianese, yes, because you've learned the language from inside church and you have been amongst brethren. But your life has no weight in the presence of God. 
weighed and found wanting by heaven. How do you transfer? Unfortunately, if discipleship was a, a, like what I'm doing now, talking to you, you know, it would be very easy to do, is it not? If I just have a gift of charisma and capacity to talk, I just read the Bible a little, listen to a few messages. Nowadays, if you take the internet, Google one topic like this, it will give you tips on how to preach it, is it not? You just come and do it. But deep calls on to deep. The issue of following up another man is a transfer of life. It's not a transfer of doctrine, first of all. Doctrine is important in establishing a man. But following up the man is a transfer of life. It is a spiritual affair. Do you have it? Do you have the requisite life to transfer? If you say to the man who you are following up, follow me as I follow Christ, will he be lost? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Oyefu, will he reach heaven? Will he be lost as you are chasing money and your convenience? Will he be lost as you are are at ease? What will he learn from you? Will he come and copy the life of sin from you? Have you noticed, and I noticed, that if a mother is prone to anger, her children become prone to anger. Isn't it so? Have you ever noticed that? If a mother tells lies and she begins to raise children, she will raise children who will struggle with lying. How does that thing happen? Does the mother ever sit down to teach the child and say, see, okay, let's, you must tell lies. Hmm? When somebody does like this, respond like that. No. Those things are things that happen in the realms of the spirit and we have not been able to comprehend it at all. So also, the life of Christ is transferred in such a manner. Sometimes when people come to your house for discipleship, it's not about even reading Bible. It can be about cooking food inside kitchen. Eh? There is a, an environment and it's a natural habitat. Because if you go to your house again and create an artificial environment of Bible study only, you also miss the point. Everybody comes to your house from 5 to 6. They sit down and they read Bible. After reading Bible, they go home. Nothing has happened. But they come and watch you as you are washing clothes. They watch your children running up and down and annoying you as every child is prone to do. And they see the life of Jesus as it comes out of you to address that child. As it comes out of you to address your house help. Oh, as a wife, as your husband comes back. And the disciple has been with you since morning. And your husband comes. I says, why haven't you said, oh, no, 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 The disciple is watching. Unconsciously so. Hallelujah. And he's just watching to see. Hallelujah. And that kind of transfer of life. She sees that, ah, submission is not only when somebody is very nice and sweet. Because you know if you come out with your husband like this, inside church, and you're just, everybody thinks that, hey, as you, maybe you're wearing uniform, myself. The two of you, life is just sweet and going. So if you talk about submission, uh, that, how can you not even submit to such a person who is so spiritual, who is so great and mighty, who is so... It's not true. That's what you think. But when you follow the person home, and you see that sometimes, it's not at your convenience. I don't want to do this. But my husband said so. And you see the person. It is, she's watching. She's learning. In her own home, if she's not married, for instance, when she arises, she will not say that she didn't know. It's not true. Sometimes she wants to do something, she will just remember you. And she will just breathe down. It's okay. It's okay. What is that? 
It's not that she has not read that thou shalt submit. I'm using that because of course I'm a woman. This is the example that is very readily available to me every time. It's not that she has not read it. But she has seen the application of it from time to time in the life of another human being. That makes a greater impact than what she reads. Hallelujah. So, it is because many times we don't have it so we can't give. But I'm trusting that God will begin to change that even from today. Hallelujah. What you don't have, seek to have it. For not having it will not be an excuse. Even the law says ignorance is no excuse of the law. God will not reduce his standards on the day of judgment. To say, well, you see, considering... No, no, no. My brothers, my sisters, the judgment of the Lord, the standards of the Lord stand sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his. Paul says we should not seek the commendation of human beings. There is one to seek his commendation, and that is God. And he has set out his tenets clearly in scripture. Let us pray. Maybe before now you have been wasting the lives of men that you have led to Christ. Can you talk to God and say, Lord, the days of ignorance, please overlook. Maybe you have not attended to them with the urgency that is required immediately they were saved. You left many things to come in between and then you say they are not serious. No, it's not their own seriousness. The midwives that brought them to birth in the spirit have malhandled them. And so, like Mephibosheth, they are crippled for life, some of them. Can we ask the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, help me take away this cloak of laziness, this convenience, this going up and down for many things and leaving that which is important. Have you yourself been discipled? Have you submitted yourself? 2 Peter chapter 5 says, Submit yourself to your elders under the mighty hand of God. Have you allowed yourself to be made? Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Please pray for yourself. Just before we started, God reminded us that the road is broad that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. There are no excuses in heaven. The standards of God are set. And the instruments for obedience, God has already provided. Starting with the death of Jesus. He has made it available. Have you received the death of Jesus? Maybe you are here, we are talking of follow up. But you don't even have the seed of God in your heart. No matter how much a man labors on you, he can convert a sinner to a saint by discipleship. You must first be converted. No matter how you feed a lizard and it grows big, it cannot be called a crocodile. It will only be a big lizard. We can pump you with spiritual things and you listen and you are learning. You can only be a big Christianized sinner but no saint at all. The first thing you must begin to do first and basic is that you must be converted. You must accept the, the death of Jesus and see your own death in that death. 
so that the life you live will no longer that be that of all things, but of new things. Chikidem, oyewem Jesus, chikidem, 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 oyewem Jesus, chikidem, Jesus we pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, beholding our face and our lives as in a mirror. And Lord, we ask of you that Father, how shall we lead others? How shall we teach others? How shall we Lord, make them followers of you when we ourselves are struggling? Perhaps we have been looking right and left. We are on the broad way. Father, we are looking for world opinion, for approval. Lord, we are looking also for approval from the things we are supposed to have left off in every aspect. And King of glory, they have been weighing us down. Progressively, we are declining our steps. Progressively, we are getting colder. Progressively, we are becoming more comfortable with the way things are. Progressively, there is no sense of urgency in us. Progressively, we are losing sight of where we are heading to. Progressively, we have also lost sight of many you gave unto us, that we may also bring them unto you, perfect, complete, in all your will. Heavenly Father, today we ask for your forgiveness in the name of Jesus. We ask for your cleansing in the name of Jesus. Lord, we put ourselves before you and ask you, Lord Almighty, we lay aside the things that lay upon us and blank out your picture and blank out and make deem those which we should follow of you. A life that is clear, a life devil I've seen, a life that is lived in holiness and righteousness to follow you all the days of our life. Father, where we've got it wrong and the areas where we have addressed our comfort, where we have put our pillow to lie, Father, we lay them aside today and ask for your forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Lead us on the path that is narrow. Lead us on the path that shows light. Lead us on the path that lets people, here we are, following the path that is narrow to Christ. The path of life, the path of peace, the path of progress, the path where the life is made manifest. Lord, may our life show that again in the name of Jesus. And let those around us, those whom you have led us to produce our fruit, remain abiding, abounding, growing in the name of Jesus, even unto eternity in Jesus' name. We pick up our words again. May every heart here, Lord, be revived of you, touched of your spirit, quickened of you again to serve you and to live as unto him who died and rose again for us. Father, may we be earnest in it. We arise from our sleep. We arise from our slumber. We arise, Lord, that Christ shall give us, Lord, even life. And may that life be a quickener. May that life be a receiver. And may that life be a light to all. 
empowered of you and you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, may no one here be lost on the path of destruction in the name of Jesus. May we be conscious that we are not living unto ourselves, but to live as a light. As we walk with you, we will not walk in darkness. And Father, as we come to the Lord's table, fulfill the doing of your word in the name of Jesus. Refresh us again in the name of Jesus. Strengthen us spiritually in fullness in the name of Jesus. And King of glory, let your healing virtue flow through everyone who is here by faith and receives of you today in the name of Jesus. Let there be a raising up again in the spirit, in the body, in the mind, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let there be joy that we have been with you. Thank you for your daughter. Minister grace and mercy to her. And renew and rekindle in her even the path of discipleship and following Jesus unto our life's end. Her and her family. In Jesus' name we pray. Section 15.